We're going to talk a little bit about vision this morning. This is what we're calling Vision Sunday. And uh, vision is obviously very important. We start by saying this. Vision without action is merely a dream. Who knows that to be true? Action without vision passes time. And vision with action can change the world. Denzel Washington, it's, I just personally really like him. He says, dreams without goals remain dreams and ultimately feel disappointment. It's very true. Very true. It's a truth. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Truth is truth. What did God say about it? Well, in Proverbs 29, he says, without vision, the people perish. That vision there is actually talking about prophetic insight, the foreknowledge, looking forward. What has God planned? Without vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The Passion Translation says, when there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. You know that God chose to call us sheep, which is very interesting to me. This is not in the notes. I just, it's always is funny. Because they, I'm not saying we're dumb. We're, we're amazing creatures. We really are. God has made amazing specimens. But sheep are not that smart. In fact, if there was a patch of grass over here, they would all eat over here. And if there was a patch of grass over here, unless there was a shepherd to take them there, they would die of starvation here. That's a fact. Unless someone took them there. So we need vision. Amen? We absolutely need vision. Now, we have a vision for our church. I love what Dwayne said. It's not like because we've, a few weeks have gone by that all of a sudden we start all over again. Not at all. We've had a vision for this church that God gave us. I think real vision has to come from the Lord. And is encounter and equip and engage. And I want to speak to you very briefly about that, and we're going to go into engage. With encounter, very simply, we firmly believe here in encountering God. In a very real, tangible way, uh, the Bible says God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit. We have a, a supernatural God that actually wants a relationship with you. And that's from an encounter to, of driving in the car, a sense of his presence, the, the touch of God's on your heart in worship, the, the change, the transformation of your mind when you're in his word, the renewing of the mind. All of that are just encounters with the Lord. They are very real change, dynamic change in a human heart. You cannot change your heart. You cannot. You cannot rescue it and you cannot change it. But it's the touch of God. And that can go from everyday living Christian life to the extreme. Where in Wesley's day, in the Wesley brothers, the ships when they were coming into port with England, there was such a dramatic, powerful, sustaining presence over that whole country in a sense, over the whole area where they were, that when the ships would come close to the shore, the people would fall out under the power of God and begin to repent publicly and get saved before they would even get to the shore. That's historical truth. That happened. And that's God's presence. That's the encounter of God. And that happens from when it starts when you get saved and it continues on. Amen? Jesus said, that eternal life, people think eternal life means living forever. Jesus said eternal life in John 17, 3 is knowing God. It's relational based because he is the source of life. True? Is that true? Yes. Great. We're on the same page. So then we also, part of our vision is equip, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Unfortunately, over many years, we've seen superstars come and go in the church and everyone puts a person or a group or a whatever, on a pedestal, they are only doing their job if they're actually equipping people to do the work of the ministry. They're equipping people, to, that's you, in case you didn't know, to do the work 
of the ministry. We get equipped, we get rescued out of Egypt, out of the world. We go from slaves, where you're born as a slave in another's kingdom, just like the Israelites were born under Pharaoh. That's a representation of our salvation, yes? You get born as a slave, you get taken into a son, and you mature into a friend. The friends of God, a friend knows the heart of his friend. He knows the Father's plans. He knows what God wants to do. That's the equipping process. That's the discipleship process. So that's something we have in our heart. But then we have engage. That's what I want to speak to you about this morning. I feel that this year God is wanting to equip us more, push us more, take us more, lead us further into this issue of engage. And it's engaging both each other. Let me ask you a strange, well, a series of questions. What would happen to a church, and we ended last year with this, to any church, small, big, large, any family, where forgiveness is flowing? Billy Graham's wife said, the secret of a good marriage is two good forgivers. That's true. Not one, two. Because they're both going to do stuff. Okay. So, if forgiveness was flowing, if we took all the little foxes that spoiled the vineyard... We've been speaking about this for the last month. And we just took him outside and shot him. Just, they are no more. Just destroyed the foxes. Forgiveness is flowing. And people see offense for what it actually is. What would happen? The church would get back on mission. It's true. The church would actually remember its purpose and get back on mission. And <laughs> when we talk about engage, we also talk about, so it's engaging each other, one another, and engaging the world, not with us, with who's in us. And so, vision for 2019, something I believe the Lord has just put on our heart just as a leadership, is obviously carrying everything of who we already are forward. Not just changing, carrying it forward, but building a church empowered to engage our city with love and truth. Building a church empowered to engage our city with love and with truth. You know that God has a dramatic heart for cities. You go look in the Bible with Abraham. He says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Abraham dialogues with God. He says, if there's just five righteous, I'll save the city. God is all through the Old Testament. You look at the cities. God talks about cities. You look at Jesus. He wept over Jerusalem. When it sent out his disciples, he says, go into the city. All through the Bible, it's Jesus talks on cities. God focuses on a city. God has a, a desperate heart for people because just like the church, we, we, we think church like, oh, we come to church. No, we all know we are the church. The church is made up of people. So is a city. A city is people. It's made up of people. And so God has this incredible heart for the city. But unfortunately, and now things just for the next little few minutes are going to get a little bleak. Okay, so don't, don't worry. I don't believe these things, but reputation is real. The church has a reputation in the world. It's true. I, I read about it. I speak to people. I do some research on it. And what are some of the things that the world thinks the church is like? Sometimes, sadly, it's true. It's been true in history. I'm not saying it's true. I love the church because I love him and we are his betrothed. Okay? But the church is known by what they disapprove of, sadly. It's very sad. The church is known by what they disapprove of. They're known by being small-minded, exclusive, some people think the place is just filled with hypocrites. They use faith for political purpose, financial gain. And then on the other hand, some people think that they're not good enough to come to church. 
because they think they've been too wicked or whatever the case may be. And so they want to improve before they come. That is unfortunately some people's perspective. Is it true? No. Because we're still his betrothed. He's still making us beautiful. But perspective is reality to some people. Hello? It's true. So the world has no use for a powerless, loveless church. It's the truth. It has no use for the power for a powerless, loveless church. It's actually sometimes there's more fear I've seen in the church than there is in the world. They get so afraid of everything. And it's interesting that in the book of Acts, in the Bible, the, the, the Bible says that unbelievers were so in awe of the believers. They were, it says they had fear that they would not dare join. It says they would not dare join them because there was such a strength of love and such power of the Spirit, it was too strong for them. It wasn't just flippant. They would not dare join because the church was the church. It's a very interesting, very interesting situation. It has also been said that the church exists for its non-members. It's a great statement, but it's not true. We are called first to Him. Bible says we are called, He calls us to Himself. We don't exist for them, we exist for Him. We exist for Him. And our first purpose, as I said, is worship. Our first purpose is worship. But mission does exist. Mission exists because somewhere worship doesn't. That's why mission exists. Mission exists because somewhere in a person's heart, relationship doesn't. So mission exists. I started last year with the different facets of God. God is spiritual. God is organizational. God is relational. But God is missional. He is. And there is a great commission that we're going to get into this morning. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I believe that this is where the world is right now. You always want to speak into the right context. This, Isaiah 5.20, is what I personally think where the world is. We're not blaming anyone. We cannot actually blame them. They're just following the nature that they're born with. All around the globe, all around the world, multiple countries, cities, cultures, no one even really knows what's right and wrong. Who of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? It's like there's so much confusion. There's so many voices. It's the, what used to be evil is now good. What used to be good is now evil. What used to be bitter in people's mouths now is funny and a joke. And Am I crazy or are you with me? Okay, it's very likened unto Nineveh. Do you know that? It says they didn't know their left hand from their right. We could get into what that means. But overall what it means is the 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh had no idea anymore, but they could not tell between right and wrong. Even if they wanted to. The, the conscience, there's a moral law that we are born with. Even as an unbeliever, you have a basic understanding, right and wrong. I shouldn't kill that person. That's not a good idea. It's a, Romans 1 speaks about it. It's moral law. Every person is born with it. But at times in history, that moral law, that deep sense of right and wrong, can actually begin to fade in an entire area. And people are confused. They cannot tell what's right and wrong. 
So everyone has their own opinion about everything and everybody thinks they're right and there's no kind of general consensus. No one knows right and wrong. That's what happened in Nineveh. And so God sent Jonah, which was interesting too. But God sent Jonah. Why? Because he loved the city. He didn't send him to destroy, he sent him to save. Hello? What if God has that heart for our city? For your city, where you live? I think he does. I think he does. And I think he's put you there. And I, if I had a goal today, there's obviously many, but if I had one goal, it would be, I don't want to say convince you, to further convince you, wherever you stand right now at this moment, to further convince you of the furnishings that you already have, that you have what you need. That's all. That you already have what you need to do what he's called us to do. That is the truth. He sent us. He put us here. He put Free Life Church here. He put you in your neighborhood. He put you in your work. He, he placed you somewhere. God determines the exact times and places where you should live, where we should live, where this church is planted. So, the church needs to rediscover, I believe, these the, many things. But something God has put in my heart just for this year, to build a church that is empowered to love our city. The church needs to rediscover its call. And by that I mean the Great Commission. The words Great Commission are actually not in the Bible. Hudson Taylor made that very famous. And he was quite a guy. But the church needs to discover its call, its clarity. And by that I mean the gospel. What is the real truth of the gospel? Because there's too many versions out there. What is the gospel? It's catalysts. A catalyst is something that if you add to something else, it empowers that, but it itself does not change. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's catalysts. Holy Spirit and love. Those two things. And it's challenges. I think the church needs to just admit that it's done some stuff wrong. I think that the world would embrace a church that says, you know what, we're, we're actually not perfect. We're actually not supposed to be. I don't know if you know that, but we're not supposed to be. We're in process, just like you. To actually face our challenges with faith, not with complaints and expecting bailouts from governments. If I'm stepping on your toes, I'm not sorry. I really am not. Friends, it's time for the church to remember its call. To remember how they did things here. So we're going to look at the Great Commission. Go to John, please. I do not want to pump you up in the flesh today and get you excited, because that will fade. But I do want to stir your spirit. Will it be comfortable? Probably not. But will it be, will it be easily possible? Hopefully not. Because then the Lord's probably not in it if you can do it. But is it possible? Definitely. Definitely. Great Commission, John 20, verse, we're going to go to verse 19 to 23. Actually, I'll just, yeah, let me just go to verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the, because they were going to kill them, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them, his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
So Jesus said to them, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Most people start with looking at the Great Commission. They look from Matthew to John. We're going to look from John to Matthew. Look at the different Gospels. But here it's very interesting because he says, As the Father has sent me, so I also send you. Those two words, send, are actually different in the Greek. The one is apostello. To send, like to send with authority, with commission, with appointment. As the Father sent me with this appointment to come to earth, so I'm now sending you. That word is pempo. It, it means this, to send someone with a thing to be carried to another. Josh, can you go give this to Dwayne? Okay, it's that. Okay, now I want it back. Thanks. Okay, it's to send someone with a thing to be carried to another. What Jesus is saying is the Father sent me to give life in place of death. And so I'm going to give that to you for you to carry to every person who needs life. As the same degree that I was sent from him, I am now sending you. So here we go. Take this. That's what he's saying. It does not give people the ability to forgive another one's sins. He says, if you forgive the sin, please, friends, that's heresy. Only God forgives sins. No man. God alone. It does mean that there is an ownership. Think about this. People say, well, Jesus wouldn't give me too much. Well, how do you think they felt? They were hiding because they were afraid. And Jesus goes to those fearful guys and gives them this. He says, by the way, if you don't tell people, no one's going to know. Think about that. There was no preachers yet. John the Baptist, he's gone. It was just them. And he says, here we go. Enjoy. <laughs> then he says what? He says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you will need, and the reason I'm, I'm going to look so much into some of these, we're going to look at some words, we're going to do a little bit of teaching on why. Because sometimes when we grow up in the church, we become numb to the same scripture, the same verse, and we forget what it even means. He said, breathe on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. You will need a new nature. You will need this. You will need to experience what it's like to have a new nature. Because the nature that I'm putting in you, that's the inbreathed Holy Spirit, is the nature that I operated from. You're going to need what it's like to feel, to know, to understand what it's like for that change to happen. So here's the Holy Spirit. That word breathed, is the only time it's used in the New Testament, the Greek word. And in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, it's used when it said God breathed life into Adam. Breathed life into Adam. Jesus breathed that same word, life, the Holy Spirit, into his disciples. He's saying this Holy Spirit that I'm giving you will also, in a few little while, will totally immerse you, will change you will make you look a little bit like me. I'm going to give you my nature. I'm giving you my tools. I'm giving you something so that when the world looks at you, they can see that what traps everybody else doesn't seem to affect you, and they're going to want to know why. The Passion Translation says it like this. 
I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and, sins, and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of sins, they will remain guilty. Friends, pointing the, what I call the bony religious finger, if you can imagine the ugliest finger in the world. Dad, come down, I'm just kidding. If you can, I'm just kidding. We're, we, we just joke like that. But this bony religious finger at the world and say, well, you, friends... It's not the way to do it. The gospel is good news. It's good news. That's what it actually means. It's good news. How about something like this? Do you know that your forgiveness for all that you've done has already been provided? That's good news. And find language to use that doesn't sound churchy. You know that the reason why you do all those things is actually because you naturally bent that way? You're like, do, do you know that? You know that God actually says, you, you, he's like, well, I don't really know God. I've never sensed him. Or I don't. But do you know that the Bible says, God actually says, you, you cannot know him until you're born again. So yeah, that makes sense. But the good news is what's being provided is offered to you. And it doesn't, it's, it's not so much, so much about all the stuff that you've done. It's to change the reason why you've done it. Inside which is your very nature. And that has to be taken from you. That has to be changed. No one else can do that. This is good news. It's the proclamation of something that's been won. I said to someone a while ago, I was speaking to like a, when I say a gangster, this time I, I mean the real thing. And I said, do you know that being forgiven is not just about being like, okay, check, I'm not in trouble now because I've done that, so now I can like, you know, I'm good. I said, no. You know what the Bible says that this thing comes with, that you're born with? He said, what? I said, it comes with wages, which means it's not good. <laughs> it also comes with weight, this crushing weight of sin. It's a crushing weight. It feels like regret. It feels like guilt. It feels like hopelessness. It feels like I cannot seem to get out of. I cannot change. I cannot, no matter how many times. It's a, and as you get older... It gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And what makes it heavier is actually you trying to fix it. That's actually what makes it heavier and heavier and heavier. Oh, that? Yeah, that'll go too. That'll leave. The weight will come. That'll actually leave. Really? Yes. And that's just the beginning. There's much more, but it starts with you have to understand what he's done and you have to say yes. It's good news. It's not, you need to, and you better, and you should have, and how dare you, God's going to judge you. No, friends, that's, that's not good news. That's not good news. We won't go to Luke, we'll skip over that. Go to Mark chapter 16. You know what's very helpful to me, is that after that encounter, the first time that the Holy Spirit had ever indwelt a person that way, it said, they, in Luke it says this, it says, that it's still not, some of them just still did not believe. So if you struggle with that, well, they did too. So honestly, it's okay. It says some of them still didn't believe. You know why it says they could not believe for their own joy. They're like, this is too good to be true. Surely not. Surely not, Lord. No, I think you're, mm-mm, mm-mm. When we are raised in a culture of such non-negotiable, strict, law-driven, you know, when we're raised in that and something is offered to you like this, we are so steeped in unbelief, it's hard to believe it. 
That's what they were raised in. And it says, for their joy, they could not believe. Isn't that interesting? It's like people say, well, you know, it's just too good to be true. Well, this is not. And it needs to sound that good in our mouth as a church. It needs to sound that good. Because it is that good. So, Mark 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes, we're going to read, sorry, Mark 16 and Matthew 28, and then we'll just make some comments. So we're going to read both texts. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. Why do you get condemned or damned? People don't like the word. It's a biblical word. Is it because of what you do? No. He who does not believe. That's it. That's it. What you do, totally different thing. Totally different thing. That gets forgiven and taken. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Verse 19. So then they, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up in heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming with signs following. I don't have time to get into the signs. We may get into that today. I doubt it, but we'll get into that at some point. What those things actually mean. It doesn't mean to go pick up a snake. Please do not do that. Okay, please. That's Yeah, just don't do that. Okay. Matthew 28 says this. Let's go to verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I wish I could take the time to just explain what that actually means. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. All authority in heaven. You think about that. All. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go. We have to understand that our commission, our co, the co part actually means it's not co with one another. Yes, that's true too. It's us and God. The Lord working with them, confirming. It's us and him. He's the catalyst, not us. Our co-mission is based on what? The authority of Jesus Christ, not you. All authority has been given to me, therefore you go. I'm giving you something to carry and take to another. That's what he said in John. Based on what? That I have all authority. That grows as it grows in our revelation, as it grows in our understanding. All authority, therefore you go. All authority, therefore, you. Here we go. Delegated authority to people, to saints, to Christians. You have delegated authority that is not based on you. It's not based on you at all. The word go there, because some people may think, well, go means that I have to travel elsewhere other than where I live into all these nations. Then I'm on the Great Commission. No, no, no. It, it actually means wherever you go. As you go, as you go about your life, whatever you do, wherever you go, because of the authority that I've given you, preach, speak. 
The word go actually means, I think I'll throw it up, to carry over, to transfer, to continue on the journey on which one has entered, to remain, to follow. You've started something, just remain doing that. As you go, as you go, it can also be said, keep following. Then he says, go into all the world. That's what the Mark 16 says. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's having a going heart. When you leave, think of your front door. Okay, right now, think of your front door. I was going to buy a door, didn't get time. You go through a door. When you go through the door, you have a going heart. You carry something that every person you encounter needs. When you come back in your door, you have a going heart because your children need you to father them like he fathers you. Your wife needs you to husband her like he, Jesus husbands the church. It's a going heart. He says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Why creature? It's just weird, right? Why creature? My mother would love it if that meant air the, all the living things, the plants and the animals, and maybe a few rocks can sneak in. Anything, everything, I just love everything. It, it doesn't mean that. It's too, sorry, Mom. It's 2, it's 2 Corinthians 5 actually talks about that when you are saved, if you're in Christ, you are made a new creature. It's the same word. When it says, go and preach the gospel to every creature, to every person that whose heart has not been regenerated yet, that's your target. So that they may become brand new. It's the same word. So that they may be made new. So that they may be adopted, taken from a slave to a son to a friend. People say, I can't take responsibility for that. I can't. It's a crushing weight for me to go and think every person, my goodness, you're right, it is crushing. You're not supposed to take responsibility for it in terms of results and people getting saved. You are called to sow. That's it. In my hand, I have an apple seed. Two, okay? The power and potential of this seed, even this physical seed, I'm not talking spiritual now, you cannot fail. No one can. This seed has the potential to grow a tree with thousands of apples. Every single one of those apples, multiple seeds, each with the same power, each with the same potential. What can come from this? It's, it's incalculable. Literally, it's incalculable. Even if you have uh, one out of every thousand seeds that come from this seed that's only planted, it's still incalculable fast. It's multidimensional. You have seeds in your hand. You are not called to bring them all the way through every time you speak to someone. You are called to sow. There we go. Sow like that. You are called to sow, to sow, to sow, to sow. That's it. But that seed has extreme power. Extreme power. Some sow, some water. Others see increase. It's a seed. The problem is, can we be honest? It's honest day, vision day. Not that we lie all the other times. <laughs> Truth preached once a year now. <laughs> Friends, the issue is people are ashamed. We are insecure. We are, I don't know what. I understand. Trust me, I understand. The Bible says... In Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power. The gospel is the power. 
It has inherent power by itself because it's a seed. It will do something you cannot imagine. It is the power of God unto salvation to change your human heart, the one thing you cannot do. But I'm not ashamed. In Romans 5, it says it like this, hope maketh not ashamed. People say, how do I grow to a place where I just don't, I'm just not, I don't, I'm not ashamed. Hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is giving to us. God is looking. Who will believe more and become more assured in my love for them than they will about what others think? Oh, I need someone. I need someone. Who will go for us? Isaiah, I'll go. Send me. I'll go. I'll go. Once he had taken the ownership, then came the encounter. You'll go, okay, come here. You're going to need to take this call. I'm going to need to sort your heart out. I'm going to need to give you this tool. I'm going to need to give you this encounter. Why? Because you took ownership of the call. What does it mean when it says teaching them to observe? Teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Well, that's obviously all his teachings, but it's not observe like, hmm, it's interesting. No, there's different words in the Greek for observe, and I won't go into it. This one is observe like, like a person would say, we observe Thanksgiving. We observe Christmas. That's actually what it means. Meaning what? On that day, we change our activities. We change our activity because in observation of. Jesus is saying, teach them to follow like you followed me. Teach them to change their activities, to change their life, a new lifestyle, a new way of thinking, Because it's not about adding God to what you already do. I'm just going to add God to the mix. It's not. It's a complete shift and change. Another way of saying, teach them to follow. Now I'm going to shock you. I've done a little bit of studying. It has been said by certain preachers, and I I think they may be right, I'm not sure. Who's a millennial generation in here? Lift your hand if you're born from 1980 onwards. Okay. It has been said that the millennial generation, Josh, you're good. It has been said that the millennial generation is going to save Christianity. I'm not sure that's a true statement. Because Jesus, he knows what he's doing. But what they were talking about was this. It's very fascinating. And and I don't mean this, please don't take offense. I don't mean this about anybody here. I know this is a very general statement, okay? This is very generalized. It says they are looking for a lifestyle more than they're looking for a belief system. Because they saw their parents and their grandparents carry a belief system but look nothing different from anybody else. And so they're saying, okay, I get the belief system, but it just seemed to them to be like, okay, so you say this, but you look the same. So what they're doing is they're saying, okay, this is, I've done some research on this. They're saying, okay, I'm going to take, yeah, I'll take the Christian belief system, good, and I'm going to take meditation from this thing over here. That's a biblical word that Western Christians are like, oh, no. It's in the Bible. So I'll take meditation from this Eastern practice, and I'll take the way I exercise from this mystic thing, and I'll take the way I, you know, look for hope in this fortune thing, and then I will look about my foretelling over here, and I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, your belief system, that's great. I'll take it all, and I'll put it together, now I have a lifestyle. So when I wake up in the morning, I do this, then I do this, then I do this. Then They're looking for a lifestyle. This, Jesus gave them a lifestyle. How to live and die. 
how to live and die. That's what they're looking for. And the gospel is that. The church needs to remember its call. In your version of the gospel, are you giving someone something that they're willing to die for? Because that's actually what young people are looking for. So, who makes disciples? Us. Of who? Essentially everyone who will listen. Everyone who's still an old creature that needs to become a new creature. With what ability? Delegated authority and the Holy Spirit. Both of those can grow. Do you know that? They don't grow in their source. They never change, but they can grow through you. How do they grow? Through use. Through use. As you use them, they grow. In the kingdom, I've preached on it before. In the world, to save something, you, to, to build, to increase, you save and you hoard like crops in a silo or like money in a bank. You savor it, that's discipline, that's good. In the kingdom, increase comes through use. Jesus said, take the talent away from the guy who did nothing and give it to him who actually did something with it. Because he who has, he who, you know, will be taken. It's, if you want something to grow, you've got to use it. That's the kingdom way, because it develops trust in an eternal resource. It's faith. You've got, to go, you've got to actually do something. There's many things that I unfortunately won't be able to get into now. But it starts with what? Preach. It says these signs will follow. I, I'll get into that. Just for those of you who are curious, who just may be visiting and won't come back. Some of those signs, I mean they're traveling from out of town. <laughs> You guys have seen the worst, my goodness. <laughs> when it says certain things in Mark 16, it's not like every believer gets, okay, it says those who believe these signs will follow. Who's that? That's everyone who is preached to and becomes a Christian. That's you. Jesus is saying, everything I showed you and everything you carry has to go beyond just the people I'm speaking to. Because people say, well, he was speaking to them. No, he's speaking to you. Those who believe in what you say these signs will follow them, that's you. But it's not just instant, I believe and then I run out and do it. For some people, sure. And some of those don't mean what you think. Some of them are actually Aramaic idioms. They're, they're idioms from the day. Snake just means enemy. Most people say, well, I'm not a preacher, because it starts by how? Go into all the world and preach and proclaim. I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. I don't think you're all going to run around on the streets and be like Todd White. I don't, no, no, no. But you, you are a preacher. The definition of preaching is a few things, and then we'll close. is to be a herald with a suggestion of formality, with the gravity of deep authority. And it causes, it's the anointing on the person, it causes others to think, I need to listen. You know what that is? That's what I'm doing now. It's that type of preaching, teaching. You know what else it means? To publish something. It also means to proclaim openly something which has been done. I've said, the proclamation, the good news, is the declaration of a victory that's been accomplished. That's where we get the word evangels. Those guys who used to run, I've explained it before. What does that mean? Can the following people just very briefly stand, because I want you to see something. My mother and father, or just dad, or great mom and dad, me, I'm doing that, Mark and Marsha, Marie, Kayleen, if she's here, Roger and Dwayne, if they're here. Why? What they do, 
Yeah, they preach globally. They travel the world and they preach. That's what people think when the Bible says, go into all the world and preach. They all think, so I have to do what they do. Heck no. That's what they do. That's great. That's wonderful. And that we celebrate that. But you don't have to be them. What about what I do? I preach locally. Proclaiming something that's already happened. I do that here. I don't do what they do. I used to more, but now I don't. What about Mark and Marsha? It would be hard-pressed for me to find a some, someone who has not given the gospel to their kids better than them. They've understood the preaching of the gospel is generational. They have five girls. And let me tell you, those girls are something. Why? Because they preached to their children day in and day out. They preached. They're preachers. Roger and Dwayne, story after story, they go into their workplace. Not like, I'm here, Jesus. You know, no, that's weird. That's weird. It takes business. It takes wisdom. It takes Holy Spirit will give you what to say with truth. And these guys, I'm just because I know them, I'm sure many of you, when they go into the business world, it's amazing what happens. Because when they go out the door, they have a going heart. Marie, she speaks about her neighborhood, literally her physical neighbors. That's a going heart. Thanks, guys. Kayleen, she wasn't here, in her school. I mean, we're preachers. We carry something. So, I'm going to cover one more quick thing. There are certain strongholds, and I, I won't get through them all. Stronghold, what is a stronghold? It's a pattern of thinking that has developed in our minds through culture, through society, that actually lead to passivity in this area. I'm not shouting at you. I'm not upset. As I said, my goal is to show you what you carry already. You already carry it. Certain strongholds. I don't know enough of the Bible to answer the hard questions. Well, as I've taught, if you think you're responsible for results, then yeah, you're right. If you're responsible to sow, you know plenty. What do you have to know? Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. That's enough. Everyone thinks, well, I'm going to get into some deep apologist argument. That's why these people are here. Tell them what you know. It'll be enough. Don't complicate it. Don't get into debates. People mocked Jesus. Not everyone listened to him. And let me tell you, he could preach better than anybody here. I need to get to know Jesus for myself a little more. Really. Well... How well do you know someone you work with? I'm talking work really, really closely with. The Bible calls us co-workers, co-laborers. And I can get into, I was going to get into all the words, but I don't have time. You know what that word means? Fellow workers? It means synergy. Synergos. It's where you get the word synergy. You want synergy with Jesus, co-labor with him. It's in action that you mature. It's in action that you grow. Jesus said, my meat, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That word meat, you know when the Bible says the milk is for the young and the meat is for the mature? It's the same word. He said the maturity comes from action, not from study. My meat is to do. I do something. And that builds maturity and strength and stature and fortitude. 
It builds synergy. I need to get to know Jesus better. Well, how well does a person in the military, again, I think of Roger, who has to climb in another foxhole with someone else and they're defending in the army of God. They work, they know each other better like you could ever imagine. There's synergy there because they're co-working. My life doesn't reflect what I would tell them. Let's be real. My life doesn't really reflect what I would say, so I'm not going to say anything. You know, there's a funny thing about that. Start telling people, watch what happens to your life. That I could take a year to explain to you. Just, it's true. Start speaking. Watch what happens to your life. I'm waiting to be empowered. I'm waiting on some dramatic event. You will continue to wait. (laughs) You may have one, but you will then think, well, now I need that. You have what you need. It's not my call. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We all share the same commission. All of us. And we have our own personalities, in our own spheres, in our own ways. I don't have a heart for the lost. Very few people do. It's true. Very few people have a consistent heart burning and passion for the lost. Very few. Once again, start to do something, watch what happens. It's ownership, it's not feeling. This year we want to ask the Lord. Next week we're going to talk about engaging each other, community, and what that actually, what is a covenantal community. Last year we ended salt and light, forgiveness, and dealing with issues in the body. Why? Because what happens if we get rid of that stuff? The church gets back on mission. And my heart is to stir you. Not to make you feel, to stir you, to stir you, to action, to stir. There's a city that doesn't know right from wrong, so God put us here. God put us here to engage with that city, to love that city, to love that city, to actually love them. One of the major catalysts that that they had in the New Testament was turning something that was meant for their destruction. They were mocked, they were beaten, they were threatened with death publicly to turn those things into something beautiful. Every time they were mocked or accused, they said, okay, that's fine, I'm secure, but let me tell you about this. They turned these things into an opportunity. That's called love. Yeah. So that's what I feel God has for us this year. We have more details. We're not going to let go of everything of who we are, not at all. Can we say yes to that? Yes. Yes. It's exciting. It is exciting. We all share it. To build a church that is empowered to love our city, wherever you may be, but this city too, with love and with truth.